Talkback Gardening with John Lamb and Deb Tribe on ABC Radio Adelaide. Good morning and welcome to Talkback Gardening. Good morning, John Lamb. Good morning, Deb. Good morning, gardeners. And this morning, we're going to take a look, a different look, at grow your own in your own garden. We've looked at growing your own vegetables and growing your own fruit. How about growing your own Australian plants from seed? And the person that's going to help us achieve that is Neville Bonney. Neville is unique. He's an ecologist, he's a botanist, and he spent a whole lifetime working with the bush, our native plants, and she, he's focusing on the seeds. And we're going to take a look at why the seeds are so important on native plants. And then we work through that in terms of uh, the seeds that produce a species which produces an, an ecosystem. Now, don't tune out because that's fascinating, and Neville Bonney will explain that very, very shortly. And I have had a look at the book. It's called From One Small Seed, A Forest is Born, and I'm just so impressed. You said, John, that it is Neville's life's work, and it's just so clear from the care that's been taken. All of the pictures are illustrated. There are photographs taken with the seeds to show scale. Everything is properly identified. It really is going to be a bush Bible. Yes, it'll be a guide for those who are collecting seed that they'll be able to identify very easily which seed it is from what particular plant. But there's just some fascinating other information in the book in terms of Australia, where it came from and how our native vegetation is established and how it is now under threat. And Neville has a message for governments and government authorities, and I think he's going to share that with us, with listeners this morning. I look forward to that very much, very shortly. I have two August ABC Gardening Australia magazines to give away a little bit later in the program, but don't forget we want your calls as well. The phone number to ring to get advice from John is one three hundred triple two eight nine one. If you'd like to make a comment, we're more than happy to receive it on the text line zero four six seven nine double two eight nine one. And just on that, Trevor from the Riverland has said that there is a great riverbred gum at the Barossa Bush Gardens in Nuriutpa, estimated 400 years old. Eucalyptus camel... Oh, I'm going to get this wrong. Camel Camelgelensis. Um, flower well covered. And while a river red, red gum was discovered 1832 by a monastery near Naples, Italy, a monastery is in Camoli, hence from Camoli, that's why it's got that particular name. Interesting fact. Thank you, Trevor, for that. Uh, and uh, we are going to try and have a quick chat with Brett Draper about what is coming up in the Royal Adelaide show a little bit later as well. So um, all of that ahead in Talkback Gardening. From one small seed, a forest is born. That's the title of a fascinating book by botanist and ecologist Neville Bonney. 650 pages, two and a half kilograms it weighs. It's a monumental uh, publication, as Deb described earlier on, and it captures the lifetime of Neville Bonney, uh, ecologist and botanist. And we're going to delve into that lifetime and also the book in this morning's program. And it's good morning to you, Neville Bonney, and welcome back after many, many years to talk back gardening. Yeah, good morning, John, and to your many listeners. Okay, so let's take a look at that lifetime. It, it's been focusing on seeds and collecting seeds and, and then encouraging people to grow plants from seed. 
Why the focus on seeds? Well, for most of all living organisms, John, seed is the basis of new life. Um, and there is a growing interest for people wanting to know more about native plant seeds, how they may collect, when to collect and how to collect, so they can propagate new plants and feel a part of restoring our fragile landscapes. Okay, so you're looking at collecting seeds and people say, oh, I'll grab this one and grow that one and I like that one. But you're looking at it in terms of species. Could you just talk about the importance of collecting and looking after a particular species of a plant? And maybe just explain what is a species. Yeah, well, a species is the type of um, tree. We talk about red gums, blue gums, yellow gums, common names, but they all have botanical names. And they all make up a unique association um, out out in the bush. Um, and, of course, they differ from many other factors, such as rainfalls, land topography, soils, latitudes. And they can be from wetlands, woodlands, forest deserts, grasslands, and so on. But many of these have been fragmented over the past century, and with also with the introduction of exotic weeds, animals and once you remove a part of that plant association you start to get cracks and sometimes they're not always easy to repair. Could we look at uh, plants in terms of ecosystems? So let's use uh, the gum tree, the eucalypt. Um, we've got a species of, of gum trees. What's their role in sitting there and growing in terms of an ecosystem that surrounds that tree? Well, while a red gum may look uh, attractive when we view them, the artists paint them and so on, but however, um, a unique red gum uh, association is not only red gums, it's the plants that grow around that, uh, those trees uh, in the paddock or in the landscapes, and they're all very important for each other because they... Uh, they um, support life systems, birds, insects, ants, you name it, and they all live in harmony together. And um, so it's important when we see a red gum, it's not the, right, it's not the full picture. The full picture is when, when it has its other family members around them, and they can be small tea trees, they can be calistamins, they can be grasses, they can be sedges. It just depends where they are and the topography they're growing in. But they all, each and every one of them, support life, and that goes towards a healthy ecosystem. Okay, so there's the ecosystem. It, it's not just a gum tree. It's all the things that goes around it, other plants that go around it, as well as the birds and the bees and uh, the <laughs> insects that live in the tree itself. But we come back to uh, uh, the fact that there's a species. Let's say there's uh, um, grevilleas that grow in and around uh, the, the gum tree. And if you lose yeah. uh, that species of a, 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 say a grevillea, what happens? Yeah. What's the consequence well, if, of that? Well, some grevilleas flower all the year round, so therefore it supports nectar for bees and for honey eaters and so on. When you take that away and the red gum is not in flower at that time, well then it has to go searching away from the red gum tree to, um, to 
restore its own health. And so once we do that, um, we start to break down that system again. So it is very important to have the whole system. And there are many, many hundreds of different ecosystems on the Australian continent. Very shortly, I'd like you to talk about how we can help with that diversity of nature uh, and and do it from a home gardening point of view. What are the plants that they maybe should be collecting and and trying to grow in their own garden? Uh, But Deb, uh, I suspect I'd like to think that there are questions coming in and you might just remind us uh, who we're talking to and how people can be part of the conversation. (laughs) Yes, look, Neville Bonney, who has the most incredible knowledge, is joining us. We're talking about his new book, From One Small Seed, A Forest is Born. It's being launched tomorrow at the Hindmarsh Island Land Care Meeting at 9 o'clock in the morning. Uh, And I can say, I'm getting on the text line, Neville. uh, This text says, I've had the privilege of viewing this magnificent book. A must-have for any South Australian and for any gardener. Amazing knowledge has been captured beautifully. And if you've got a question, perhaps, Neville, uh, about natives, then call in on 1300 222 891. We've already got one from Betty, but we might come to that in just a moment. Yes, there's one more question I need to ask Neville before we take a look at at restoring the vegetation in home gardens and communities. And Neville, that question is our own ecosystem, the Australian or South Australia's native vegetation and, and the wildlife that goes with it. How would you describe the state of what is out there? Oh, well, of course, we've just been witnessing the National Environment Report released a couple of weeks ago, and it doesn't paint a very, you know, uh, pretty picture, for a better word. However, we must not lose sight, John, of some of the excellent restoration work being carried out by tree groups and and other individuals but unfortunately, it's, this is only a band-aid message. You know, I'd like to look at the big picture. If we're really serious about our landscapes, governments need to be more serious and fund large programs, not leave it to a few people. We have a huge budget for health, so why not the health of our land? I often say, John and your listeners, a healthy environment equals a healthy society. And I think South Australia, like all Australian states, is at the crossroads in this regard. And I also would finish up by saying, I don't think it's a choice. I think it's a responsibility. Thank you for that, Neville. And there are many people I'm saying, I'm sure, saying, hear, hear. Um, Okay, so there's the message, and it, it needs to be heard. We take a look at putting it into practice and there are many people say, yeah, I want to do something, but I don't know how. Now, you just mentioned uh, the land care groups, which are brilliant, little community groups, and they are working hard. Coming into the suburbs, um, it, it worries me that garden clubs were there, and one by one they're dying. But they're being replaced by community gardens, and maybe there's a need for government, more government uh, assistance and and, and and finance also to help those community gardens and, and they start to think beyond the veggies they're growing and the fruit they're growing and maybe also get involved with our, our ecosystems, our, our native plants. Yes, quite right. Um, you can plant many small native plants 
I'm a Muslim vegetables in the garden, and I think these community gardens are excellent ideas because the small native plants will, will help to bring in native bees and other small insects that, in turn, help to pollinate the flowers and even the vegetable flowers. So involved in uh, the production of our native plants for food. And if anybody's got questions on what kind of plants they can grow to produce their own food, now's the time to talk to Neville. And maybe, Deb, it's time for me to back off and uh, let our listeners (laughs) talk to Neville. Oh, I know you've got so many questions. And Neville Bonney, what an amazing knowledge we have right here available to you on 1300 222 We'll come to Betty. Rafferty and Val in just a moment. Talk Back Gardening with John Lamb and Deb Tryon on ABC Radio Adelaide. Our very special guest is Neville Bonney, South Australian native plant author who is tomorrow launching his book From One Small Seed, A Forest is Born. Betty is on York Peninsula. Welcome, Betty. You've got a flowering gum question. Uh, yes, I have, Deb. Um, John Neville, there's some um, it's, I've had it for about, oh, it must be three years. It's been in the ground that's never really done anything except shoot right up. It's about 10 feet, I suppose, now. But it's got this rusty look on the leaves. Uh, there's bumps, but you can't scratch them off. Um, yeah, it's just strange. It's just not doing anything. Betty, do you know what type of flowering gum you've got? Oh, I didn't know. No, no I don't. <laughs> well, there we are, Neville. There's a good one to start with. <laughs> oh, well, I think um, to um, your listener that if, if you really need to know what type of flower and gum that is suitable for your garden. Yes. And often we, we go into nurseries and we see these very attractive um, um, cards on them showing the flowers and we all want one and we go home and we plant them we might plant them into clay soils but naturally they might come from a sandy soil and therefore they can't get their roots down quick enough and if they suffer a little bit in come the predators and the different insects lay their little eggs on the leaves and then the little lumps will come but if you have the right tree for the right position you won't have any trouble because there are suitable flowering gums for most parts of the country. Those little lumps, could they be lerps? Um, well, not lerps. You can take them off by your fingernails, uh-huh. but the other ones, um, little insects, yeah, they lay their eggs on the leaf and, of course, as the little insect in the leaf grows, it's kind of poison air, immediate area around them and these little lumps occur. But I can tell you know, uh, the listener on your peninsula, if you can take some of those leaves off and dispose them, then often you'll get you know new, new leaves coming again. So Betty, might be an idea to identify that. Firstly, check you've got the right gum for the right area. Um, good luck with that. Thank you very much for calling in. Uh, Rafferty from Allgate uh, joins us. Rafferty, you've got a question for Neville Bonney. Yeah, good morning. Um, what, what you said earlier, Mr. Bonney, is, is good to hear coming from someone like you. But my, my question is about the, the insects or, or lack thereof. 
and and how this is going to play out. You know, if you look at, I mean, I'm old enough to remember how the windscreen of my car got completely splattered, and nowadays you don't see a single thing. Um, I'm just interested in where you sort of how that's going to be rectified. Yeah, well, I don't know whether we can rectify unless we all change our attitudes. Um, often sprays, um, insecticides being used on farm properties can kind of find their way into urban areas sometimes and therefore these populations, no different to plant associations, insect associations work the same way. And if, and if you fracture that um, lifeline, it could be individual insects that rely on each other, well, then the whole system breaks down. However, um, I also noticed, and I often drive you know, back home to the southeast, and um, certain times of the year, you can hardly see through the front window. But, um, yeah, it's all very interesting, and that's a very important question, Rafferty. Thanks for the call, Rafferty. Valerie is in Strathalban. Valerie, you've got some information to impart. Um, yes, I just want to ask Neville if he's heard of Richard St. Barb Baker, who was the founder of Men of the Tree. Yes, I do, and I do have his book in my library. Yeah. <laughs> yes, and it's very interesting. And every so often these people come along and... Um, he made many, many people aware of the importance of growing trees and I think we're all aware of the organisation at Adelaide, Trees for Life, which is one of the reasons why they started because they were inspired by uh, this gentleman's early work. I suspect yep. probably in 10 or 15 or 50 years' time, people will be talking about Neville Bonney in the way that people are talking about Richard Spence Barber. <laughs> Thanks, Valerie. And I think Valerie had a river red gum in their uh, paddock and, and said off air to Susie that uh, one tree can do a great deal. And I think that's very true, Valerie. Uh, John at Jepps Cross, good morning. Hello, how are you? We're all good, thanks. Could, my question is to Neville, how do you estimate the age of a river red gum? I ask this in particular because I know of one which is said to be 500 years old, but on the program on the, Australia's favourite tree earlier this week, a comment was made about red gums that you can't rely on the rings because they're laid down differently, but it didn't explain what that meant. Yeah, well, I'm no authority on that <clears throat> particular subject, John, but it's an interesting question. I'm suggesting that uh, a lot of evidence goes back at the time of settlement when people noticed or recorded red gums on their property. And over the past century, they've noticed the growth in size, diameter, and they can roughly work out if it grew a certain diameter in, say, 20 or 30 years, multiply that by perhaps the time of a larger red gum, you can get an estimate um, uh, tree. But, you know, we talk about red gums because they're big and they're grand, but there are many smaller eucalypts like Mallee eucalypts, and I know of one near Bordertown. Now, I believe this must be over a 1,000, maybe 2,000 years old. And unless you see these trees and know the history, it is very hard to to give an accurate estimation of their age. 
Can I just come in there? Some years ago, I was involved in a, a national arborist conference, mm. and one of the guest speakers was from the Ancient Tree Society in United Kingdom. And he came into Melbourne, and he drove all the way up to Brisbane, and in his address, he was appalled. Well, first of all, he was excited about our gum trees, our, our, our river red gums. And he went out and he hugged them and he wrote them and he photographed them and he addressed the conference. And he was appalled at the lethargy, the lack of interest Australians have in these ancient trees. And he said, if they were in UK, there would be monuments, there would be sort of fences around them. They preserve, they look forward and they, they appreciate what they've got. And we have yeah. got it here handed to us and we're destroying it. Yeah, I'm not too sure when we're destroying too many these days, John. But, yeah, our track history is not the best on that. But we all have to look to the future and uh, let's hope we are gaining a better understanding of our natural environment and particularly the young ones. You know, the education systems now are placing environment um, high on the agenda, and so it should be. Um, So we are seeing... But getting back to, I think it was John... Um, and the age of trees. Um, the, the rings are also important too because I'm uh, here in Pine from Tasmania, of course, and I have a slice of that in my wood collection. And you can actually, under high magnification, see the actual growth rings and you can determine over the last couple of hundred years whether we went through dry periods or wet periods because of the difference uh, between the actual rings. And I find that quite fascinating. Mm. Um, we'll take uh, another call for you. Uh, another couple, then we have to move on. So, Cathy from Spalding, good morning. Good morning. Um, years ago, we used to plant trees on the side of the road with the school children. And I just wonder why they don't do that anymore, not where there's electricity poles because they seem to decimate them when they cut them down under the... unless they could grow smaller trees because that helps the environment. Plus the bitumen road, it keeps it cooler. Oh, yes, I think that's um, quite sound advice. And, of course, these days um, you have to work with traffic authorities and other institutions um, in getting permission. But even small shrubs and small trees are quite happy on our roadside verges. And in many cases, that's all we've got left because the paddies are quite bare in many cases. Um, and David from Port Wollonga, we might make you our final caller for Neville Bonnie. I know we're getting lots of calls through, but uh, I know John wants to have a chat with him as well. David, what would you like to say? Um, g'day, Neville. Neville, it seems there's a renewed push, and it's an ever-increasing one, to uh, sort of translocate species from drier environments um, into uh, wetter areas or where they don't naturally occur yeah. to accommodate uh, climate change. What yeah. do you think? Well, yeah, I think that's, that's important. Even um, I have a small hobby tree farm, and our from Adelaide, and when we grow desert species, just to see how they perform, and place in case the climate does change. But over the many many years, a lot of people have planted trees from faraway places, and we can learn from them too. 
Um, but, you know, trees do adapt. They have adapted over centuries, and I'm sure they're going to adapt again in the following centuries. But, you know, it is an important question. It's an important question for, uh, for governments to, um, you know, take on board to really find out what, assuming there are going to be changes in the future, what trees and plants will adapt You're getting a lot of love on the text line, Neville. Uh, Trevor says, Barossa Bush Gardens is an excellent example of one small seed to a forest born over the last 21 years. Fabulous community volunteer garden. Nonna at Blanchetown talks about the joy of the eremophilas and uh, all flowering at different times in in Mm -hmm. her garden. Um, This Karen says, Pittosporum angustifolium, the native... Apricot, fruiting now, sweetly scented flowers, beautiful. Rupert in Crafers says, I've been collecting for the last couple of years native seed from my area in Crafers and propagating it and planting it back into the area. I'll be doing this until I die. So much fun. Um, And you've even got a text from Kelly in... uh, near, well, let me get this right, Murrum Bateman in New South Wales says, I'm looking forward to reading your book. The yellow box trees are dying off in her area as well. Um, and lots of people, Kath including, wanting to know where they can get hold of your book and whether it will be available in public libraries. But I'll leave that to John. Yes, it certainly will be available in uh, the, the shops, uh, bookshops that normally sell and specialise in gardening books. I think you'll find it'll be available there. I would like to think it'll end up in libraries as well. Uh, it's available online, and uh, I think yeah, if you if you look around, it, it will be there. Before we go, Neville, I just would like to come back to uh, the fact that we've been focusing on grow your own type of things uh, in your garden in terms of fruit and veggies, and I'm suggesting that people could also grow their own seed. Could we just say, take some eremophilas, and and they're flowered, and there's some seeds on the bush. Uh, Could you just very, very briefly uh, just explain how easy it is to germinate the seeds of of some of the easier types of of, uh, plants to, to grow? Yeah, well, John, um, you picked up you picked up one of the harder ones to grow, Aramophilus, I have to say. Okay, but, I'll, I'll change but, my mind. <laughs> some tea, maybe right. some tea tree or something like that. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, yeah. I think one thing you need to understand, and the book will explain to you, that you need to understand the maturity of seed. Some seed takes two or three years to mature. Others take 12 months. And once you understand the type of clothes, and their maturity, you collect the mature seeds, you can put it on your windowsill, in a painter bag, in the sunshine. The seed will soon come out. Get yourself a propagating tray, preferably in spring time. Um, sprinkle across the top. Just cover the seeds so you can't see it. Keep it moist. Don't have to keep it wet. And um, you'll, you'll, you'll find within a few weeks, little babies will start popping up and... And that will give many people, as it does, much satisfaction. Neville Bonney, ecologist and botanist, has been our guest this morning. Wonderful information about our ecology uh, and, and, and our native plants. And I think maybe just very briefly, Neville, that message you have to governments and government authorities, could you just encapsulate that as we say goodbye? <laughs> Well, 
if I may say, in a very nice way, um, and that is that um, I think a healthy, a healthy environment equals a healthy society, and I don't think it's a choice for governments. I think it's a responsibility. Thank you, John. Thank you, Neville Bonney. You are um, amazing. And I can tell you that you're getting so many wonderful remarks here on the text line. Uh, so many people enjoying listening to you and really looking forward to your book. So um, really appreciate your time. And you're launching it tomorrow at the Hindmarsh Island Landcare AGM, 9 o'clock. Well, yeah, we are having a, um, a what, what we call a regional launch and we're having another one back in Adelaide in a couple of weeks. And we are moving around the state. So... People can contact me also if they want a book. We do post them across the country and those details can be found by contacting myself. Yes, and those you're, you're, are in the you're very accessible and I think if you just go Neville Bonney uh, Seeds uh, Australian Plants, you'll find that uh, Neville's uh, information will come up and uh, just a matter of clicking on one of those and, and going from there. And can I make just one final comment from me um, to your listeners that while this, while this book is uh, of interest, I also have to say there was a team around the book towards the finish, learned people who offered good sound um, environmental advice to, to, you know, sound advice so that collectively we can come out with this final outcome. Wonderful. Neville Bonney, congratulations on From One Small Seed, A Forest is Born. It's an amazing uh, work and, as we have said, your life's work really in that book and we appreciate you spending time with us this morning. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, look, I'll just read a few of your texts. Uh, Jane from Burnside wondering how councils can better manage river red gums on their parks because they're doing a lot of terrible things, including asphalting around them and putting them in the middle of car parks. Uh, Sally from Hawthorne Dean says, not all garden clubs are dying. I belong to the Cherry Gardens Garden Club and our membership is growing every year. Love to hear that, Sally. Renee says, the environment and activities in the environment can be part of early intervention and prevention in healthcare through social prescribing by GPs and of course as Neville mentioned funding is the key uh, Gail says um, oh, interested in acacias sorry we didn't get a chance to put that to Neville Helen at Holden Hill says we love river red gums and lived in Echuca and had lots of furniture made out of red gum the colour is beautiful that's the dead trees of course and um, uh, Arthur says garden clubs there is so much information and a wealth of knowledge in them Arthur belongs to about three and there is a festival of flowers where all the clubs get together Karen says Neville is a living legend learnt from his books as a horticulture and conservation land management student many years ago and had the pleasure of meeting him at the South Australian Native Foods Association gatherings I hope people buy his book and save our environment. Might leave it there, but so many others, including um, Mark in Hallett Cove, uh, Linda, t- uh, who also texts through, um, and others. Thank you very much for your passion, also for appreciating Neville's passion. There's certainly, as you say, passion and excitement out there. People want to do something, and they can do a lot more with a little bit of encouragement. And I think Neville was making it quite clear that it's time governments put some of their resources behind 
those kind of concepts. And squeaky wheels are the ones that tend to get the attention, so maybe squeak at your council if you're concerned about what they're doing. Uh, we are coming back to your general talkback gardening calls next, so please call in on 1300 222 891. Have a couple of ABC Gardening Australia magazines to give away later as well. Talkback Gardening with John Lamb and Deb Tribe on ABC Radio Adelaide, South Australia and Broken Hill. Simeon from Prospect joins us now in relation to a lemon tree. What's your problem there, Simeon? Yes, good morning, John and Deb. Uh, my problem is uh, some of my fruit on my lemon tree, when I slice it, has a brown rusty colour inside. Can you tell me what's doing that? Is it just one or two lemons or all of them? Not all of them. Not all of them. Okay, that's I've more likely to be tree. an insect. There's a little uh, sap-sucking insect sticks this little proboscis into the skin and injects uh, 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 material in there, and it kills some of the cells in that area. So if it's just little, uh, I suppose, dead areas in your lemon, it's more likely to mm-hmm. be that. Uh, there are, can be other causes for uh, the breakdown of the cells within a lemon, and uh, that can be associated with poor pollination and uh, even disease but I think probably you've got um, one of these little sap sucking insects and uh, they're pretty nasty little insects Uh, uh, but if you just watch on a sunny day in springtime and just see whether there are little uh, uh, insects little like little beetles with a a strong beak or proboscis uh, you'll find that probably causing the problem Uh, they tend to be sort of seasonal and also they're bad one year and they're not in the next year. I don't know that there's a sensible answer. Okay. Well, thank you for that. Mm. Thanks very much, Simeon. Um, Yeah, Mm. it might be a a bit bit tricky sorting that one out. Margaret from Goodwood. Now, you'd like to prune a crabapple tree, Margaret. Yes. uh, Good morning, Deb and John. Uh, I planted it about four years ago and it was a mature tree then, hasn't grown a lot upwards but it is a mass of small horizontal going all over the place branches i'm just wondering how i can uh, prune it and when well it's a matter of you deciding what shape you want uh, there's no reason why you can't have a thicket but it's not traditional for a crab apple um, so it's got more than one well, whereabouts are, are the, the the stems coming from or the branches are they coming from the, the the base or are they sort of from the main uh, trunk um, they're all over the place and from laterals as well. Um, and it did have some shoots down the bottom, but I've managed to cut those out. Um, and I did hear you say just two or three weeks ago, if you want to plant for shape, um, sorry, prune for shape, don't do it yet. Um, but I'm just wondering how hard I can do it because it, it's okay, but it's really not growing upwards. It's growing more a mess, a right. mass. Well, I think decide which is the main trunk. And then anything that's in competition with the main trunk, uh, off with its head, take it off. And when you're cutting back a, a, a sucker-type growth from a main trunk, try and take some of the bark that's linked to the trunk itself because at the base of each little sucker, uh, there's a whole lot of dormant buds. And if you just cut them off, those dormant buds will just start to regrow. So remove competition around the base of the trunk uh, up to, say, knee height, and then uh, 
think about what kind of a structure you want. Do you want say, uh, five or six or seven or eight uh, main branches and select those that look the best and going in the right direction and anything else remove? And you could do that now So uh, because okay. it, it, it's in repair. It needs repair and I think do it now, the sooner the better. Um, and you're just we're not going to get very much in the way of crabs and, and uh, flowers and things like that. So go for shape, and then in probably end of November, early December, take a look and see how it's shaping, and if you want to do some more reshaping at that stage, that's a good time to do it. And so it may take a couple of years to get it back into the shape you want, but you're, what you're doing is channeling the energy the plant is producing into fewer branches, and those branches theoretically should be stronger. At the same time as you're doing that, I would be improving the root structure by giving it a good complete fertilizer, maybe a good uh, organic fertilizer now, and w wash uh -huh. that into the topsoil and then mulch the area. And if you do that, you improve the root system, and by doing that and manipulating the top growth, you should be back to normal within a couple of years. Thank you very much. That's great. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Margaret, for calling in. one three hundred triple two eight nine one is the number. Linda has done so from Sandy Creek. You got yourself some soggy soil there, Linda. Uh, yes, and that's kind of an understatement. <laughs> um, more than uh, half of our backyard now is basically underwater, and the garden area where there's plants, they're drowning. And I've got several natives that have drowned. You go and walk on it and you, you sink in the water. Um, it's, it's, I'm worried about it becoming stagnant because it is constantly under at least 20 to 30 centimetres of water and I don't know what to do. Sounds like quite a problem there, Linda. Yeah. Are you in a built-up area or in sort of a, um, a, a semi-urban? Well, it's kind of sort of fairly newly built up, but the problem is, and the council is trying to address it, we've got several neighbours that are, their rainwater's coming off their roof and just yeah, running all across right. the garden. Yeah, yeah, okay. And and that's, that. uh, so I would be hounding and, and uh, uh, getting stuck in, in, into your local council and say, look, you know, we need to do something about this. Uh, and this is a typical year where the water's just coming off the roof and running down. Uh, it's got nowhere to go, whereas in the suburbs it goes into the drains and it's lost forever, uh, which is a pity. We can make much better use of the water that falls on roofs. And I would love to be able to talk to Melissa Bradley uh, about that. Uh, she's involved with uh, reclaiming the water that goes on people's roofs but we, we, I digress so I, I think you need probably from your point of view uh, if the council are not going to do anything in the near future you need to put in maybe a big pit somewhere and have your water drain into that pit and then uh, uh, you need a little pump and then you pump the water out but where it goes I'm not too yeah. sure is there, is there a roadway well, what you can't do well, is make no. Sorry. It's, it's kind of the back garden area and uh, we know where the issue is coming from and the council have tried to address it but until the neighbours do something we're just stuck with this mm. very wet ground that we can't use and I'm just worried about it becoming stagnant because it's just sitting there. So. Yes, okay. Well, I'm a, I can't help you on that particular area but uh, in terms of if you want to grow something, raised garden beds would be the answer or... Uh, 
um, different kind of, of uh, raised gardens and, and uh, uh, wicking beds, of course, is, is another alternative. So, and, and growing your plants in containers, large containers, uh, if you want to grow vegetables and flowers, certainly that would be uh, an answer to not the solution to your problem, but it gives you an option. Yeah, stop gap measure. But it mm. sounds like you need some water engineering done there, Linda. What an awful situation to be put in. I'm very sorry to hear about that. But uh, thank you very much for the call. And let's hope you don't lose the plants that you've got there um, while the situation is sorted out. Uh, now, Royal Adelaide Show, John. We are going to be there on Saturday the 3rd. And Saturday the 10th of September, so much happening in the horticultural section. We will speak to um, some guests across those two Saturday mornings, but the main person that we like to speak with when we get this going is Brett Draper. Uh, Brett, of course, well known to any listener from this program, uh, but Brett has a, a, you know, he's deputy chair of the horticultural committee of the Royal Adelaide show. And Brett, we've got lots of new things to look forward to this year at the show. Welcome. We do. Thank you, Deb. Absolutely. And, you know, it's nearly been almost three years since we've actually held a show. So we're super excited and uh, actually probably a little bit scared, to be honest. 14 (laughs) days is not long. (laughs) It's not. It's not. But try and keep yourself calm. Breathe. Uh, But uh, what can you tell us about 2022? Right. Well, yeah, I mean, look, it's... It, it is quite exciting because um, we do have a, some, some new and exciting displays within the horticulture section. And for this year, our feature flower, or rather our feature plant, is cacti and succulents. So we're actually working with the Cacti and Succulent Society to present a floor display around that. And we've got some spectacular specimens going into this display um, of a whole range of, of things. So, I mean, not just necessarily, you know, cacti, but, you know, some of the euphorbias and some of those other, you know, um, uh, dry land-loving plants in there as well, which will really be quite spectacular. So that's just one little display we have in regards to that. But, of course, horticultural societies as well. We're working very closely with a group of horticultural societies like the Bonsai, uh, the uh, Fern Society, Australian Plant, Rose Society will be there with a the display as well. So we've really got quite a strong um, uh, focus, if you like, um, on um, on those societies and, and helping to support them and give them an opportunity to display uh, what they do best and, and then give the public an opportunity to come and talk to them about their plants and what they do and how they grow them and, and all of that sort of stuff. So it's really got a very, very strong horticultural feel this year. Yes, good, sound, reliable information. People like to be able to be excited about what they see and I think probably what Sophie has is in the middle of constructing at the moment will excite a lot of people particularly if you've moved into uh, one of the newer suburbs and there are two-story houses all around you and you think I want to be able to grow my own uh, but I can't uh, but you can if uh, you mm. take a look at what Sophie's doing explain what she is doing there Brett Absolutely. So, look, our main feature garden display this year um, um, it, it, um, is exactly basically what you've described, John. So, we've created a um, it's actually a two story display with two shipping containers, which will highlight or, or, or if you like, um, show you what a, a new housing development might be like. But if you've got limited space, which might be um, blocking sunlight, for instance, um, or, or in turn. Um, doesn't give you much area for green space, we're going to um, be able to show you how you can create a cool uh, environment with 
with narrow growing trees or vertical green walls. And these green walls will be edibles as well. So they'll be productive edible green walls. And it's all about how you can create a cool biodiverse uh, area when you don't have a lot of space to be able to do that. So a lot of them will be grown in, in, in very small containers or in, in very narrow areas. Um, it also feature, will be featuring a verge garden as well and what you can do in terms of if you've got a small verge out the front and how you can create um, a biodiverse um, a corridor, if you like, um, in, in front of your property. Um, and, and so we're really excited with that. And we're also, um, we'll highlight um, uh, with the decking area that we've got a misting system, which we're working with SA Water with um, to highlight how you can actually cool a space as well, just by putting in a couple of, of small, you know, simple um, techniques um, and, and, and actually showing them and, and how you can create that, that a lovely, cool environment. Okay, we might talk to Sophie when we're down there at the show. Um, mm. It's great to see children involved. And I think one of the smart things you did some years ago is get children, particularly the schools, involved in scarecrows. Mm. Tell us just mm. very briefly what's happening with scarecrows. Okay, so they're very excited. There's three scarecrow classes, and the, the classes um, and the entries have now closed, of course. Um, but uh, um, we've got um, a traditional scarecrow class um, and a recycled scarecrow. So all these are made from from recycled materials. And we also have a, a Costa class. And uh, <laughs> um, primary primary school and kindergarten age uh, children have entered. Uh, well, their, their classes have entered um, to create a Costa scarecrow. And and uh, Costa himself will be um, at the show for the first three days of the show in the horticultural area. Um, he will actually be judging um, his own scarecrows, if you like. So we're super excited about that. Um, but again, it's, it's, it's really, it just shows the lovely crea creativity um, and colour and excitement. And it just brings so much joy. And of course, that will all be beautifully underplanted with lots of colour and lots of vegetables um, um, in, a, um, in, a, in a lovely display bed as well. So it's going to be really, really fantastic. Very shortly, Deb and I just want to chat briefly about fruit fly. But fruit fly will be featured, of course, at the in, in the horticultural displays. It will be, John. Yes, like the uh, Persa will have a stand within the horticulture section, um, and that is one of the big issues that they will be uh, promoting and educating um, people on around fruit fruit fly. Of course, we have two very uh, big grower organisations involved in the horticulture section and, the, and probably the biggest one is the citrus um, uh, stand. And of course, that's an, an extremely important um, uh, um, thing for, for the citrus industry to help um, maintain the fruit fly status that we have here in South Australia. And there are a few problems in the Riverland at the moment, but uh, we're hoping if everyone uh, knows what to do and what to look out for that we can get that under control and be able to keep um, um, our fruit our fruit fly free status here in South Australia. Well Brett you do so much work and one of the wonderful things you do is to decorate the stage on which we will pre be presenting our programs across the show at ABC Radio Adelaide so thank you so much for all the work you do. I can't wait to see the refreshed new layout for horticulture in 2022 and catch up with you of course live at the Royal Adelaide Show so thank you as as always for joining us and uh, don't work too hard. I won't, Deb. I've taken your <laughs> advice. Thank you. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> Brett Draper, who is Deputy Chair of the Royal Agricultural and Horticultural Society. Two weeks and we will be there. Come and say hello, please. We would love to see you. I've got two ABC August 
Gardening Australia magazines to give away. Hopefully we'll see Costa down at the show. Fingers crossed. It's not been locked away yet, but we hope so. But you can win them if you have not won anything else from ABC Radio Adelaide in the last month. Call now on 1300 222 Talk Back Gardening with John Lamb and Deb Tribe on ABC Radio Adelaide, South Australia and Broken Hill. Congratulations to Hazmat from Vista and Annabelle from McLaren Vale straight through on the phones there and you've got yourself the ABC Gardening Australia magazines. There'll be more to give away next week. I think we can fit another caller in, Blythe from West Lakes. Good morning. Good morning. I'm... Uh... I've heard two lots of advice for um, what to do with your your, your leaves. Um, somebody somebody says leave them as a good mulch, and somebody else says rake them up because they might harbour nasties. Well, it depends on what kind of leaves. If you had, say, the leaves of roses, the last thing you'd do would be making mulch out of rose leaves simply because they carry the spores of black spot uh, and, and they overwinter it and, and so that would be one way of making sure you have black spot every year. So I, I would suggest anything that's diseased or looks like it uh, uh, might have insect problems, I would put that into compost or else into the green waste bin. On the other hand, if it's just ornamental leaves, the best thing you can do is leave them on the ground. Each year I've got uh, Maria hedges out the front on, on either side and so somebody comes in and does a clipping three or four times a year and I say, don't take the clippings away, please. And I just spread them underneath the trees and, uh, and uh, the ornamental areas and uh, it's just a wonderful mulch. And it, I've gone from no mulch to sort of a layer of probably three or four centimetres thick and it just sits there and breaks down keeps the plants cool, saves energy, Mm. water and uh, looks after the soil from a health point of view. Yes, and Blythe, I've got a big pile of leaves mulching down nicely at the moment as well. Um, Thank you for all your calls this morning and for all of your texts. It's been lovely to hear from you, so many in relation to Neville Bonney's Wonderful book. And in fact, uh, one of our texters here, um, Deb from Monato, says, can you please add information about Neville Bonney's book in your Good Gardening newsletter, John Lamb? Okay, but I can't do that for two weeks. The, uh, my colleague Steve is on holidays. <laughs> and so uh, the next two weeks newsletters have been published or have been laid out and they'll be published. So early in September, we'll try and address that situation. Yes. And if you've got a gardening notice coming up between now and then, send it through to me on email at we, uh, Adelaide Weekends with an S, Adelaide Weekends at abc.net.au. And we haven't got a lot of time, John, but it is worth talking about some of the things that are happening in the Riverland right now in relation to fruit fly because they've had 14 outbreaks which is quite a high number, and it's led them to introduce some pilot programs. Interesting that they are thinking sideways. Where do the fruit flies come from? And a lot of them, once they're in the area, they sit on old fruit trees, fruit trees that probably are not being looked after. People are maybe too old to look after them. They're renting the place and they can't be bothered or you're too busy. And so the council, the Loxton Wakery Council, have combined with uh, Persa and government authorities and what they're going to do is say, right, if you've got an old tree and you're not looking after it, we'll come along and we'll take it away from you 
and we'll also give you another tree back, and so replace it. It's not compulsory, but it's a beautiful idea. I wonder whether it'll work here in the pub, in the in the suburbs. Wouldn't that be great? And in fact, on that, uh, this person says, Perza at the Royal Show, maybe they might like to reintroduce the Home Gardening Advisory Service from 35 years ago to help garden clubs and community gardens become their first line of defence. Would you believe I'm responsible for starting that many years ago? Kitted the, the, the Minister of Agriculture at the time to actually start a home garden service, and that's how it started. Wow. Congratulations to you, John Lamb, on so many things you've done in your career. It, I'm, I'm never cease to be amazed. That is brilliant. So, look, if you live in the Riverland area, I would say contact your council and find out what might be available to you. Um, very important um, pilot program being run there, and you might want to be a part of it. Yeah, and I'll say until next week when we talk to Tim Marshall, organic. Oh. Good gardening.